Thank you, Lonzo. As he said, that's, that's something that's not beyond anybody. It's beyond what we choose to do, but not beyond what we're able to do, is it? Sure not. This evening, I want to invite your attention to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, in 3 through 5. 1 Peter 1, in 3 through 5. Uh, t- tonight, entitled the message, What We've Got Coming. What We've Got Coming, in 1 Peter 3 through 5. The Bible says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray together. Father, we just ask your blessing upon the reading, upon the preaching of your word tonight. And God, pray that your spirit uh, would teach us, Lord, eternal truth. And Lord, things that will be in our hearts and lives, not for just a minute or two, God, but something that will be a part of us, Lord, as long as we live. Lord, thank you for the truth that's found here. God, I pray for Brother Nathan, the kids, as they meet together tonight. God, that you would get glory through all of that. And Lord, there's going to be some kids over there that don't know you as Lord and Savior. I'm quite confident. Lord, I pray that tonight, God, just like last week, somebody come to know you. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that uh, throughout this land, there are men standing and preaching the gospel tonight. And Lord, I ask you to be with them and use them tonight. Lord, thank you that we can call on you. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, You know, tonight as we look in this text of Scripture, really trying to get our uh, feet on the ground, so to speak, in this, in this book. Uh, we're following the introduction here in these first couple of, of verses to uh, persecuted believers. Uh, these here that Peter starts trying to give some uh, really words of encouragement and affirmation, uh, really to try to propel them uh, through the trouble and through the conflict that they find themselves in. And uh, how does he do that? What does he do? Uh, That he tries to direct their minds. He tries to direct uh, their thinking, not toward enduring necessarily what's going on, but in this aspect, he is directing their mind toward putting their, their thoughts, their anticipation, not on earthly things, but on that which is above, all right? And really, uh, that, that's, uh, that's the essence of it all, that uh, we are often have our minds fixed on this earth. And I realize, and you recognize, that, you know, we are living on earth, so we cannot pretend like it doesn't exist and like we do not have these things happen. But uh, the motivation of our life and the goal of our life is not here. Uh, The goal and the anticipation of living is for something that is yet to be uh, fully experienced. So does a text like this uh, have a real place in my life? Does a text like this have real application in your life? We have, you know, we're in a different uh, scenario, a different circumstance than these people Uh, found themselves in, but I think we would have to conclude that absolutely, uh, that a text like this has 
a great application. It has great relevance in your life and in my life. Why? Because there's not a one of us whose life is absent from trouble. All right, that's it. That we all have difficulty. Uh, There's probably somebody here who is having uh, financial struggles tonight. There's probably someone here who's having some physical struggles here tonight. There's probably some families here that are having some internal struggles tonight. There's probably someone who is struggling just dealing with self tonight. That's difficulty. There's probably uh, someone who, who've had some plans to go awry this week. Somebody who has let you down this week. Somebody who has lied to you this week and, and has caused havoc in your life so that you and I, no matter who we are, that we are dealing with trouble, that we are dealing with difficulty, and that is common to life. And it is common to a Christian's life, just like it is an unbeliever's life, that those things are common. So no matter how much you pray, no matter uh, how much you put it in the offering plate on Sunday morning, no matter how much you've read your Bible, no matter how much you love Jesus, uh, that trouble is around. There's always conflict that we are dealing with in some shape, form, or fashion because uh, every, every day you hear somebody is popping up with the C word cancer. Every day that there's somebody that you know who's got a rebel child. Every day there's somebody uh, who has lost everything that they had. Every day there's somebody who's dealing with the suicide that you know that life is full of trouble, that is full of discouragement. It's full of things that will knock our feet out from and under us. And with that being said, that we live and we pray for God's mercy, that we live and we pray for God's grace to abound in our life. But none of those things are any sort of guarantee of what tomorrow is going to look like in my life and in your life. So, since we know that everything here in this earthly existence, that it is temporary at best, doesn't it make sense that we need to keep our eye keenly upon that which is forever, is what the Bible says, that we have an inheritance. And so that's what Peter is desiring for these people. And I think that it is worthy uh, tonight of, of our examination and for us to have the same goals and ambition in our life that we keep our mind uh, not so much on this, but we keep our mind on what is yet to come uh, for us. So three things tonight in verse 3, 4, and 5. In verse number 3, he tells us that our inheritance has been provided. Our inheritance has been provided. And then in verse number 4, he says that our inheritance, that it is permanent. Our inheritance is permanent. And then lastly, in verse number 5, he says the heirs are protected. The heirs are protected. So those three things... As we go through this text of Scripture tonight, and I uh, confess that I don't think that I have it all uh, just perfectly in a box like I would like to uh, tonight, but nonetheless, 
um, you know, Melanie said, man, you seem like you've been doing a lot of studying for this message. And I said, yeah, and I know better than when I started. All right. And so, but, but nonetheless, nonetheless, uh, I hope in my prayer tonight is that the Holy Spirit of God, that he'll do his work in me and he'll do his work uh, even in you tonight as we look in this text. So in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our inheritance has been provided. And so as we think about the fact that we have an inheritance, and that is introduced to us here in verse number 4, that it is something that an inheritance is something that you receive uh, from someone else. Someone else has, has done the work. Someone else ha- has, has made it happen. And you are just the recipient of what somebody else has handed down to you. All right. And that's our, our thought here that, that we didn't do the work, that we didn't get it done. But God the Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, that He got it done. And that you and I, that we are a beneficiary, that we are a recipient uh, of what Jesus Christ has done. And so he starts with the word of, of uh, adoration, a word of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And originally, in the original text, it just says, Bless the God. Bless the God or bless God. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an expression of the praise that is within his heart as he thinks about the goodness of God. And he starts out giving credit where credit is due. He starts out getting, putting his focus where his focus ought to be. And you know and I know that it is my tendency and it is your tendency to get our focus on ground level instead of up here. All right, And so he is putting our focus, getting it that from off of here into up here. And, and as I say up here, God, God word should be our focus of our life. And, you know, and, and that's easy to talk about, easy to preach about, hard to do. Nonetheless, that doesn't keep it from being true. So our goal, our ambition, our aim in life is that we be God-focused people and that we try to keep our eyes and our heart and everything toward him. And so blessed be the God. Uh, some people say this, this even goes back to taking these Jews back to the synagogue uh, where they where they worshipped at, and, and it says that some three three times a day that they would go and they would uh, they would sing these songs, and one of the the ending phrase of this song, this I believe they said it was sung eight eighteen times or something like that. So for fifty four times a day, at the, this ending phrase would would say something like this: "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord." You know that sort of thing. Blessed be God. And so 54 times a day coming out of the synagogue would be this one phrase, blessed be God, blessed be the God. And so, uh, you know, sometimes we get on, man, they need, a, they need a new line to that song we're singing or something. Well, that's how it's always been, that repetition, repetition that it gets in our heart and it gets in our mind. And so it wasn't, it wasn't that God needed to hear it that much, that we needed to hear what we're saying, all right? 
And so 54 times a day out of that synagogue, hear echo, blessed be God. And so that would keep that in the forefront of their mind. And you and I, we need to have in the forefront of our mind, blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we have that in the forefront of our mind, the forefront of our thinking, it's going to change a whole lot. It's going to change a whole lot about our perspective. Now, as he says here, uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, in the aspect of, of you know, referring to, to God, that's one thing. But you don't, you don't see a whole lot of, of thought about God being a Father. That isn't the most prevalent most prevalent thought to you. You see, Jesus, now he's always referring uh, to God as the fa- his father. I think there's only one, one instance, really, where he isn't referring to God as his father, and that's when he's dying on the cross. That's the only time you really see Jesus talking about God and not referring to him as his father. And so that's important uh, in our theology to know uh, that, that that's important that, you know, Father, Son, and Spirit, that they are connected, that they are one, and they are, in essence, that they are uh, of one another. And so someone has called this a very, uh, a very con- concise uh, phrase. We say, Lord Jesus Christ here. Uh, concise confessional is what they've said. When it talks about the different aspects of who Jesus is, that he truly is Lord, that, that he is ruler, that he is Jesus, that he is the Son of God, that he is Christ, that he is the one who was promised from the Old Testament, that he is all of these things. And we think about that he is Lord, that he is Jesus, and that he is Christ, that he is magnified above all others. And what, what a beautiful picture. Uh, that we see of Jesus. And I think as, as Peter, just right here, as he gives this introduction of blessed be God, and then he says the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is magnifying who God is. And I think if you and I want to change a perspective in life, that we will magnify who God is. And we magnify who God is, and that will put everything earthly in perspective. We magnify who God is. And so uh, I, I hope and pray that, that this will happen in your life. Paul, uh, that he uses that phrase, Lord Jesus Christ, in 2 Corinthians 1.3, in Ephesians 1.3, uh, that that is a very stout a statement as to who Jesus is. It says, which according to his abundant mercy or his great mercy, he, he is talking about the, the motivation Uh, behind our salvation is that God that he is great in mercy or or uh, where is it where it says uh let's see where he's rich Ephesians 2 4 says that he is rich in mercy great abundant rich in mercy what a great picture of the mercy of God that he is rich in it that he is not lacking in it that he is not average in it but he is rich and he has all that there is all that is needed all that we can imagine that God in his mercy that it propelled him it compelled him to save lost miserable sinners he's rich in mercy and as he talks about the mercy of God that that is what it really geared toward, the the misery of sinful man, 
the misery that we found ourselves in as lost sinners in need of God's great salvation. Titus 3.5, according to his mercy, he has saved us. Uh, in relation to your and my humanity's pitiful existence to our a desperate shape that God had a compassion upon us that, that, that we had to have that there was no other way that we required God's mercy upon our lives and we see that as we you know we're going through the gospel of Mark and how appropriate that in the life and the ministry of Jesus, in the Gospels, as we see him going around healing disease, and that, that many people say that in Jesus' earthly ministry, that for all practical purposes, where he was at, that he eradicated disease and sickness, and that demonstrated the great mercy of God that he has toward sinful man oh what a beautiful picture the mercy of God and you know God gets a bad rap a lot of time but when you think about what he has done and what he has extended to sinful man not because he had to but because out of being compelled in his own being for who he was that he extended that toward a sinful man out of his mercy now in order for a lost humanity to have uh, a, a, an existence, for us to have a hope that we must be born again. And that, we refer to that as the new birth. Uh, we refer to that as being saved in, in a modern lingo. Um, but in Jesus, as he spoke uh, with Nicodemus, that he used the phrase, the new birth. Uh, that you must be born again. That's the idea. And that's what he talked about there in John chapter 3, that we must be born again. And so that it happened according to his abundant mercy, that he hath begotten us again. And uh, I believe uh, there's this, that begotten us again there, if I remember uh, correctly, this Peter this particular phrase that's translated begotten again, that Peter's the only one who uses that particular phrase, but he uses it two different times. But it's talking about us being born again unto a lively hope. A lively hope, or maybe your translation may say a living hope. Now, till you and I, until we make Christ Jesus our Lord, that we are not living with hope. Ephesians 2, in verse 12, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. So we wonder why that people act the way they do is because they are living without hope if they do not have Christ as their Lord and Savior. Hopeless. We say, man, people seem hopeless. Yes, they are hopeless. Man, if this is all we got, we're hopeless, right? If we have hope only in this world, we're what? All men were miserable. And so, he's given us a hope. 
He's given us a living hope. He's given us a lively hope. It's one of my favorite songs on the radio I hear every now and then. It's talking about he's our living hope. And man, there's much to be gathered from that to think about that he is our living hope that he is our living hope because he lives that's why he's our living hope and it's a hope that's not dead it's a hope that's active it's a hope not that we've got to wait for but right now today that as born again believers that we have been given a living hope only jesus gives hope hope isn't in things hope isn't in people people put their hope in um, politicians where's that going to get you people put their hope in their money what's that going to get you they put their hope in relationships we tend to put our hope in a lot of things But 2 Peter says that we're looking for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. See, that's really to be what our hope is anchored in. Now, I know that we, you know, the book of Proverbs and that we are taught that we are people who are to uh, make plans and, you know, that there's nothing wrong with that and there's a lot good with us being people who make plans but everything that we know on this earth is going to come to an end everything everything on this earth is going to come to an end the place that you work one day will no longer be in existence I read an article this week about I think it's in Ashland Kentucky a steel mill there who had employed literally thousands of people at one time since the 1940s or 50s So now that it had been in that city for like 70 uh, years, uh, that it it turned its last uh, piece of of metal off off the racks this past week. And they thought, man, this place was always going to be around, but it won't always be around. All the, the churches that are in Graves County, one day they won't all be around. Everything will come to an end. Eventually. I don't know when. I don't know how. But everything will eventually come to an end. The car you drive that you bought or you received that forever warranty with, it's not a forever warranty. Because it will not. It will not last forever. So the only thing that we can lay our hands-on, so to speak, that's going to last forever is what Christ has purchased for us. It's found in a place that's called heaven. It's found in the person by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do we know that? We know that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is the event of all events that Jesus Christ got up out of the grave. And that changed everything, that defined everything, that it's all resting that Jesus Christ got up out of the grave. That's it. And that's the essence of the gospel. Seems like I find myself saying that a lot lately. 
and I suppose I always will, that that's the essence of the gospel is that Jesus Christ got up out of the grave. And friend, let me tell you, when, when a denomination, when a church quits preaching that, they're doomed, they're on their way to shutting the doors when they stop preaching that. Because that's it. That's the power of the gospel in what Christ Jesus has done. That he defeated death, hell, and the grave. So, two, our inheritance is permanent. Our inheritance is permanent in verse number four. Pretty, pretty self-explanatory, I guess you would say. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. So here's that uh, word inheritance that we have been talking about that has finally come into play here. Uh, wealth or, or property or maybe even a, a good name uh, because a, a family member or someone who you are in relationship with that they have left something to you. Now, an inheritance is talked about uh, sometimes in regard to the nation of Israel and that God had prepared an inheritance for them so that those tribes uh, each received uh, a portion of land uh, with the exception of the tribe of, of Levi. And so uh, just as in the same way, uh, same, it's the same word, same family of words that's used here as used in regard to that. In the same way, just as God provided the land of Israel, the land of Canaan there, that he had provided a, a, a physical inheritance in land that believers, that God has provided for believers a spiritual inheritance, not in land, but in heaven. He has a spiritual inheritance for us. It's in heaven. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 and verse 12. It says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 2. Set your affection on things above not on the things of this earth. So, why? Because he, he, it's kind of neat that he uses, he uses three, three descriptive words here, and they're, you know, kind of, you know, inheritance incorruptible. It tells what they're not <laughs> to describe it. it. tells what it's not. So, I think that it, it kind of helps us to understand that he... Um, it's hard to uh, give descriptive words. Words cannot describe everything that's in heaven, everything that heaven is, everything that our inheritance looks like. That's how wonderful that it is. You know, when you look at the book of the Revelation there and it starts talking about descriptions of heaven, you know, that he uses human terminology that he uses physical things that you and I that, and people can relate to, trying to describe what heaven is all about. And there's no way that, that language, that limited human language, 
can describe all that is awaiting those who know Christ as their Lord and Savior. He says it's incorruptible. So that means it's not subject to decay. It's not subject to corruption. It's not subject to death. It's not subject to destruction. And everything that we know, everything tangible on this earth is corruptible. It is subject to death. It is subject to corruption. It is subject to decay. Defiled. Not tainted by sin. Now there's, a, there's something that I try to get my mind around because the best thing that you know, the best things that you have ever experienced, the best relationships, the best situations that you have ever experienced in your life is all desperately tainted by sin. Terribly tainted by sin. And that's, that's, that's hard to think. So there's no way that humanly speaking we can imagine because even our thoughts that are trying to think about how wonderful it is that even our thoughts are tainted by sin as we try to think about that which is untainted by sin. Wow. It's how wonderful it is. What God has prepared for those who love Him. And that it fadeth not away. These words are used to describe the flowers, to describe the grass, the flowers that wither, the grass that wilts. You see that everything that we anticipate in this place that's called heaven, everything that we long for and the fulfillment of our uh, the ultimate expression of our salvation one day that we're experienced in heaven in the glories that God has prepared that it will never ever die that it will never diminish in quantity that it will never diminish in quality that when we experience eternity that that we will know less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun all right that when we when we experience it for the first day it'll be no different than we when we experience it for the millionth day and it's glorious and wonderful and that aha moment when we finally arrive there it will be just as glorious and aha and when we're there a million years wow and he says that all this is reserved in heaven for you now if you're one of if you're one of the people that struggle with the, you know, am I, you know, am I still saved? Is, is God able to keep me saved? Or what, where am I at? Here's, here's, some, here's a good place for you to land and, and to take this to heart. Because when he said this was reserved in heaven for you, he meant this, that it's reserved in heaven for you. All right? That's pretty easy, isn't it? This word reserved, it means to set a guard It means to set watch over. Now you tell me, is God able or not? Is God, is is he a worthy, is he a faithful watchman? Yes. You see, it's not you watching it. It's not you reserving it. It's God 
God is doing the watching. God is doing the guarding. The one that never sleeps. The one who never slumbers. That he is watching it. Preserved in heaven. For you. For you. Now I didn't. I didn't get into digging, digging this out, but that sounds awful singular to me for you. Seems awful individual for me. I believe that he has an individual believer in mind when he writes this. It's guarded. You know, every some of the seems like every year. That, that you hear that a famous painting or some famous work of art gets stolen from a gallery. And you know and I know that those ga- galleries, that they have cameras, that they have guards. I don't know, I would say they probably got, you know, infrared and everything else around these works of art that are worth millions of dollars. They give the best technology. They give the best that money can buy in order to guard these things. The best that humanly speaking can happen. And yet, despite all that a human being can do, that you will hear that this got stolen or this got stolen, and I'm thinking, how in the world can that happen? You see, a human being, the best that humans can do, that it will, it will get stolen, that it will be robbed, but not God. We have a hard time getting our hand around that because there is nothing that is fail-proof or foolproof in this earth. But friend, we talk about our salvation. There ain't nobody getting nothing past God. It's safe. You're safe. In the hands of God. Lastly, verse 5. We're done. The heirs are protected. We kind of got in on that right there. He says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So, it really makes it pretty plain that we are kept not by our own doing. How in the world can we read over this and not get this figured out? Plain, plain right here. Who are kept by the power of God. You hear me? When you're born again, when you're saved. As he says here, when we are begotten to a lively hope that we are not kept by our own doing. We didn't get there by our own doing. We're not going to be kept there by our own doing. That we are kept By the power of God. Tell me how powerful is God? Oh. A-L-L. I like that word in the Bible, don't you? A-L-L. He's all powerful. And that's the power that is keeping you. All powerful. There's no power that is equal to that power. There's some powerful things, but there's no thing as powerful as God is. And He's the one that's keeping you. 
He's the one that's keeping me. He's protecting his children. Romans 8.31, if God be for us, who can be against us? See, our confidence today is rooted, listen, our confidence today is rooted in our confidence in the future. See, today, today, if we want to live confidently today, we don't, we're not, we don't, you know, we're not, if we want to live confidently today, we don't keep our eye on November the 13th on the calendar. We don't keep our eye on Mayfield, Kentucky. If we want to live confidently today, we live confidently today as we look toward eternity and all that God has for us and the place that he has prepared for us. That's how we live with confidence today, here and now, is by looking toward what God has yet prepared for us. Now, we have that through faith unto salvation. Now, you see, we're kept by the power of God, and he says through faith. So we also see that man, that we're our part of salvation is that we're believing in what God has done. Again, there's what God does and there's what man does, that we believe and God does it. Unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last day that one day that I believe that the church will be raptured and whether you you know no matter what your view is of all that that it's all going to end up the same all right and the the end result is going to be the same that we're going to eventually experience an eternal inheritance in a place called heaven and a Land where we'll never grow old. In a place that beautiful does not describe. A place for our reward. Or our reward that we will really understand that it's not our doing, that we're not deserving of it anyhow. A place where we'll lavish all the praise and glory that's due to God that we'll finally give Him. That we'll join the saints and that we'll join the angels. Singing and praising and honoring. That we'll finally be a part of a worship service like we've never experienced before. That we'll have one thing and one thing only in our mind. We won't worry about what our neighbor has to think about it. We won't be worrying about what time it is. That we'll be in the place that we'll be experiencing everything that we thought about, that we've lived for, that the preachers preached about, that our grandmothers told us about. A place that's called heaven. A place that we're protected. A place where our inheritance is permanent. And a place that He's provided for us who know Him as Lord and Savior. We've got something coming. An inheritance. You may not get one down here. But you've got one coming if you know Christ. Let's pray.
Father, thank you, Lord, for the encouragement.